Cool. Getting text. Yeah, it's from Ryan. Um, it <laughs> 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 oh, go on, Jeff. No. Oh, it's so hot. Perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 187. Where every week we get a whole bunch of comic books from the comic shop that we own and run and read them excitedly when we've got time. Then we all gather on a Zoom call nowadays and have a conversation about them. It's as close as we can physically be, although, spoilers, we did all hang out in the same room today for a small number of minutes with masks. And that was very cathartic. I'm Jeff and I'm feeding off of that catharsis. I'm Django. And it was so tempting to tear all your masks down and see if you were smiling when you called me those names. <laughs> I'm Roman, and I, I certainly was, and it was very cathartic. I need to talk to you boys about something. What is that? Comics. That's why we're here, oh, everybody. Geez. Perfectly acceptable podcast. Hey, listen, everyone, we missed a week last week. I got a confession. Uh, co-owner of a comic shop here for the first time in my adult life, I didn't have... And I did not have the time to read any comic books last week. So no podcast came out. Without having time to read comics, you don't have time to record a podcast either. So I'm super grateful that everyone was so patient and supportive. And we only got a handful of really aggressive emails and voicemails. We're not going to play any of those on the show. It hurts. It hurts me. It hurts me. It's, um, it's just a matter of your point of view, Jeff. It's, it's oh. like they said on that old PBS math show, uh, you will never be stumped if you change your point of view. And for me, getting those angry emails and phone calls and uh, having people shout at us on the street for missing an episode um, makes me feel good that they like it so much that they're that angry. It's that Kanye West syndrome. I just kept getting people to be like, you're not going to physically open your store yet and you're not going to put a podcast out this week? Listen, we're nothing if not lazy. Everybody if knows that. Lazy. Roman's <laughs> industrious. Oh, fuck no. I'm very lazy. Oh, oh. Well, there goes the ruse. Anyway, thank you all for being patient with us, and except for the angry ones. I get it. I get it. Also, if you're ever desperate for content, there's a Batman Quarantine podcast that comes out way Relentlessly. Too Relentlessly. So you can find uh, the group of us there. We played, we did a really great episode of me and Roman and Django and Justin just talking about our feelings. Got some positive feedback about that one. Called it oh. our rest stop episode. You you put the feelings out there? Yeah, bud, and you had them. And I even said a really nice thing about you in the description for that episode. Talked about how oh. courageous you were. I gotta, we're going to talk um, about the books. We're going to talk about the books that we're going to talk about today. That's a different podcast, Django. So first, everyone, I'm going to ignore... Oh, actually, I'm not, because Django's actually helping me out and not just being a, a stick in the spokes. We're going to talk about Hedra, or Hedra, or Hydra. Number one, Image Comics. We're going to talk about Lost Soldiers, number one. Grit, number one. Empire, number three. And two, uh -oh. just to catch up, 
We're not doing all number ones. It just sounded like we were doing all number ones at the beginning. Oh my God. There. Did I? Oh my God. You're right. Um, cut it. Let's cut it all out. Let's kill it all. Let's. Empire, we're going to talk for a minute about Empire Savage Avengers number one. Then we're going to hear a little bit about Spider-Man number two, that Texas blood number two, a little bit of that pulp action, a little oh, space yeah. And then I'm going to spend some time with my good, good best buddies, you could say, uh, talking about the X-Men books that have come out in the last two to three weeks, of which there were many. I'm not going to go into that list right now, but you can check the items on the episode description they'll be there i'll write them in i'll put show notes show notes you need them you know what else you need a copy of hedra number one from image comics normally Mm -hmm. i get really really upset when comics come out that are magazine sized comic books that need to go into the file drawers at the comic shop because they don't fit comfortably and they don't pull comfortably either you have to there's a whole different system that has to go into play for uh, dealing with oversized comics, DC Black Label. I'm looking at you. So it's called ergonomics. Look into it. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what's it anyway? So I was pretty disappointed when I saw Hydra show up in that size, but it only took a couple pages of looking at it to realize that I don't care whatever you have to do to get this comic out. Put it mm-hmm. if it's got to be billboard size, and I just show up on Sunset Boulevard once a day for a new book. Like I'll read it that way. It was that good. What did you guys think of Hydra number one by Jesse Lonergan? I loved it. It was a, it, It's like a 32 panel grid yeah. that just plays with plays with the way that comic books can tell a story and the 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 timing and the spacing and everything about it was kind of experimental, but not in the up its own ass way that a lot of spirit experimental things are. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I understand everything that happened in the issue. It, it's, it's a one shot story. It's probably 48 pages, 42 pages and it's 42 enormous pages. Yeah. It's oversized and it just follows a space cadet exploring. And it's, it's a lot of stuff that generally is a turnoff for me. And in this context, I thought was really, really, really well done and, and beautiful. I, I think I told Jeff a couple days ago that I wish that I got really high because then I could get high and read it and I would probably uh, juice completely different things out of it. So can I, can I give my, just my pitch of what this was? Yeah. We got a post-apocalyptic earth after atomic bombs have destroyed everybody. And there's a small number of people left on the earth. And there was some sort of lottery that was drawn and it elected a space astronaut person to go explore space to plant and hopefully colonize other planets and either planting vegetation or gathering vegetation from other planets. Either way, she gets caught up in this really cool disagreement between a crazy alien and on a crazy alien planet and there's a, some really gorgeous battle chase sequences and ultimately she saves this giant peaceful guy and he then gives her one of like seven celestial powers that are seem to be mm-hmm. like godlike in nature and she returns to earth and populates it with plants and then takes off as a new space deity but there's no words so all of that is just up for conjecture yeah i wasn't sure if those were plants or like she was releasing soul plants of the dead or I was I, I wasn't really sure but it was pretty it, did you like it 
I did up until about, I don't know, the point when uh, her and the the growing explorer dude come back to, to the planet and then something happens to her hand and she floats up into the air and leaves the planet again and about that and goes somewhere else to that devastated place. And that's about the point when I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I really like that scene. I interpreted it as like, that was when she, cause there was like five geometric numbers to represent these five deities, but one of them mm-hmm. didn't have a person. So that was when like he gifted um, God. Was that you? That was I when I don't know what that was. <laughs> he gifted her the powers and the powers get on her arm. And that was the indication. But yeah, I, I think it's like one of the most beautiful, interesting looking things. And like Django said, progressive ways of using the medium. <clears throat> it, it doesn't guide you through a page in any way that I've ever experienced. Yeah, you, you, like this. you interact with each panel individually and as a group. And there are so many pages on, or panels on each one of those pages. It was, you, you don't navigate any page in a left to right, top to bottom kind of fashion. And I, I thought love, that was really cool. Yeah, I love something that's that exploratory. Uh, this was originally like an online comic that the dude printed in like a newsprint issue and released at conventions and then Image picked it up. He does a lot of other stuff through his Patreon. I think everyone should check it out. We should have ordered more of this. I should have ordered more of this because it is gorgeous. And I, I think... Like truly, if you like kind of out there things like Brandon Graham's Profit or, you know, any like, it's like Mobius by way of J.H. Williams Third, mixed with Chris <laughs> Ware. Yeah. Like Chris Ware's crazy yeah. attention to detail and geometric like graphic design. It's like so graphic design pretty, but there's like a lot of J.H. Williams Third, like kind of upside down, backwards, Trillium-esque, mm-hmm. like top to bottom. But then it's also got this sort of undeniable Mobius fluidity to it that I just loved. I, I, and, you know, I'm on record here as loving silent issues. So if you're someone who likes a silent issue, you like out there comics, where you kind of get to make your own meaning. If you're one of those dubers like Django was just talking about, I think that Uber. you'd be hounding out on this one. You got to hit a pound of weed town. Yeah, but get that pound in. Uh, you ever Jay, smoke a pound of weed? I don't ever see Django unless he's got a pound under his belt. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would give this one a nine, like maybe a 9.5. I think it's a nearly perfect comic in my mind. I don't love silent issues as much as you, mm-hmm. um, but I thought that this was really, really skillfully done. I would give it an eight. I, was, I didn't know much about it other than that it looked super cool. And uh, I was hoping for a little more story to go along with it. Um, and when I realized that it was going to be a silent issue, I was disappointed. But by the end, I was totally sold on it. So I, I think it's uh, definitely a worthy comic. And whoever's listening should read it. And Roman, you just got ganja in your blood. So what did you think about it? Ganja in my blood. I'll give it 8.5. Nice. Okay, you, so you liked it that much? I did. I mean, yeah, I did. I mean, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And until you told me to read it at just glancing the cover, I thought it was some, you know, uh, independent anthology thing that, you know, some stories would be great. Some stories would be awful. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was described it as a 2016 Justin book. And I thought that that was a funny <laughs> description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but yeah, it, it was very, very innovative, very, very fun following it, following it around. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're interested in seeing something that comics doesn't normally pull off super well, I think, I think people should check it out. Another Justin nod of the week though, a little bit of that lost soldiers. Can we give a little bit of, can we tell a little bit of a story about Justin and Alish Cott? Oh yeah. Like his, <laughs> his birthday present that uh, yeah. Alish Cott promised him right around the time generation gone was going to be coming out. So like three years ago, two, two, uh-huh. uh, two years ago, maybe um, right before generation gone was supposed to come out. Um, it, he through the store so justin is a big alish cott fan i also am sort of by way of justin though he writes a lot of kind of out there stuff some of it's been really good some of it's not been as good but the stuff that's been really good is like i think deeply resonant to justin and myself and so as generation gone was about to come out with andre araujo an artist we love justin was going to be doing an interview with alish cott about it for the store and they were going to record it and it was going to happen on Justin's birthday. Alish Cott was going to wake up and they were going to do a Skype Zoom call to interview, promote this thing. And we were like, this is going to be awesome. It's, it's, it'll be cool because like Justin's just like such a sweetheart and he doesn't like really push. He's not a guy who's like, I want to go meet people. You know, he's not like famous people. He doesn't, that super doesn't get Justin real excited meeting famous people. So, um, <laughs> so it was, it was a cool out of the comfort zone experience for Justin. And then Alish Cott just done stood the boy up on his just birthday. Ghosted just, him. Just ghosted it on his birthday. So somehow Justin still chooses to read Alish Cott books and not resent <laughs> him. And uh, I need to have a fucking word with Alish Cott. Have a fucking, you know what? Have a fucking sipper with the guy. Well, make an appointment. Yeah. Make an appointment. Yeah. Maybe you I'm can sure have a word with him. Up. But I bet Justin Justin still reads his books just because he's looking for any type of little subtle clue into Cott's personality so he can take some kind of convoluted horrible revenge in like seven years. Well, I think that I think that Alish Cott is uh, kind of a mercurial man. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I feel like maybe right around then he decided to stop writing comics and like he was having sort of a, a crisis of comic book identity. That was and actually right as he was coming back from it. Was it? That was yeah, his first like, book on the scene in like two years. I, I could see him just not being real, like not prioritizing media stuff yeah. very well. You know? I don't take it personally. Comics are filled with flakes. I am one of them. So <laughs> no problems. But Lost Soldiers, Justin really liked. Anyone want to... Hey, Roman, did you read Lost Soldiers? Uh, I did. You got a gravelly, hardened throat. Why don't you tell me about this book and this this stuff? <laughs> I happen to know it's a gravelly, hardened throat. <clears throat> okay. Some cops told you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a book that starts off in Vietnam. Um, I think. I think that's who that dude is. In Vietnam, 1969. And we get introduced to a couple of main characters that about partway through comes to, I think, current times and their CIA operatives um, about to go into Juarez, Mexico and bust a drug cartel, I think. Yeah, and it's like two two or three of the people from the flashback in the yeah. Vietnam War stuff. Yeah. But they're yeah. old now. Yeah. Justin compared this book to True Detective 
and Django compared it to Sicario. And I think both of those are really apt. It is kind of like a marriage of those two things. It's, it's got a really darkly true detective, horrific graphic nature to it. But then it also, and like the time jump, like it's happening in two times kind of at once, but then it has the sort of CIA undercover slow burn feel of Sicario. Yeah, and and the stories in both timelines are really interesting. I I really like sort of this the secret origin being told of these young dudes, you know, fresh in Vietnam kind of taking their lumps and then we flash very far forward to a point where they are grizzled old veterans and still in the game and and like obviously broken enough to not be able to get out of this violent cycle that they're in. Hey Jay, can you, can you just unpack what taking your lumps in Vietnam means? Well, like they're, they're seeing their friends die. They're dealing with uh, superior officers who are either abusive or dumb, like, like making bad decisions. It's just like, it's kind of, a, it's like a, you know, they're over in Vietnam and they're just having a real shucksir of a day. Just a yeah. real, they're having a real pooper over there where their friend is dying in their arms and their guts are all over their legs. And <laughs> well, I think, I think that anybody who didn't die over there came back totally changed. Broken. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these guys are changed to the point where like when we first see one of these guys in the present day, it's all from his point of view. So it's like, we're, we're literally looking through his eyes and seeing his hands do things and seeing a little bit of narration over what he's seeing and the the repeating theme there is that he doesn't want to do these things that he has to do he doesn't want to go into the meeting where he's getting his missions he doesn't want to drink this cup of coffee because when he looks at it it looks like blood you know and so he's like he's wrestling with his demons and we're seeing that from a first person perspective at the same time that we're getting like mission parameters and instructions from the, the guy in charge at the CIA. And I just thought it was, it was an interesting way to deal with um, sort of the, the trauma that war sent this guy home with and to have it this many years later, he's too old to be doing this shit. Like he looks like he should be playing chess in the park and instead he's getting ready to go into Juarez and kill a bunch of drug dealers. Yeah. And his buddy that he's talking to, who was like his, I think maybe his captain or whatever in Vietnam, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is also involved in it, and his buddy's talking about how, yeah, this is the last time, and I'm gonna not, I'm gonna stop doing this after this one. You know, one of the things I really liked was, and I didn't realize until you were just saying it, uh, that character, uh, Hawkins, I think is his name, how when he's talking about uh, saying, I don't want to, his narration, it's in parent- it's parenthetical statements, and the rest of the kind of overall voiceover narration, whatever through the issue is I, I think it's the idea of violence, the concept of violence, like narrating this whole story. And it's, it's a really cool juxtaposition because when yeah, it got to the parenthetical, totally I was like, agree. what is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the parasitic voice of violence or the need to be in violence. But I think it's, you know, just like Jenga was saying that when you go to Vietnam, this thing kind of happened. No one came back like ready to just have a cup of coffee in the morning with their family. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it is the sort of personification of that trauma. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really liked that. Django, I actually don't know offhand how much you 
love like Vietnam stories. And when I was watching the Vietnam War stuff, I think you at least listened to me go on at you about how much I was digging it. Roman also like Roman actually like I know really likes Vietnam stories. So I'm curious. Yeah, and that was the thing. You came back so soft for a man in Vietnam. That's why he doesn't drink coffee. Yeah, it blows my mind. I'm just curious. uh, I I think my favorite portion was the Vietnam stuff. I really liked the overtone. Like the kind of, this is like, you know, if we're going to divide it, this is good Alishkot, I would say. It's like this narration about trauma and damage as a thing juxtaposed with some a dual time narrative like he i think he's able to do really complex and unique types of storytelling and i don't think it always happens in his books and this one seems like it really is firing on all cylinders i hope that it goes down easy yeah it does i think i hope that he finishes it because you know he doesn't necessarily always i think it goes down easy i i would say my as much as I love Vietnam stories, I, there was the pages with like the a lot of text about the mission parameters and stuff were a little mm-hmm. like, especially the begin like kind of front loading the issue with that was a little like okay that's a real small font size and that's a lot of words. But then there's these amazing like when they get in the shit so to speak, what happens with the art and the coloring and the the amount of like nonverbal storytelling there mm-hmm. is really impressive and it is worth mentioning. Alishkot wrote it, but Luca Castellanguida did the art. And it is it is really really impressive, gorgeous art. Uh, I I love yeah. that. I actually fell asleep reading the first page two times. It's, <laughs> there's a fuckload of text before it puts hooks in you. You know, like yeah. That I I think that I think to like try and explore that idea. You know, like the amount of text. I think that it's I'm way more permissible in my permissible in my mind when it's the hooks of the story have already gotten in you. And they weren't quite in me at this point, but then post-text, I started to get really into the story. Yeah, and and looking at it now, the narration in the beginning is very consistent with the narration throughout, where it's just like really gross vignettes in each one of these um, yellow boxes. You know, like the, the sound of a throat being opened like a plastic curtain packed with blood and air pockets and wrapped yeah. tight. Yeah, there's like, like deep... Holy cow. Yeah. Roman, were you just going to say something? Um, the, the Bell Hooks uh, quote on the inside front cover, oh. that, that was a great quote. And it, kind of, it definitely put me, in the, put me in, the, in the right frame of mind for that first page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of another great opening quote in a book uh, that I'm excited to talk about a little bit later. But we'll get into that in a minute. As far as Vietnam goes, I don't love vietnam stories but i do like vietnam as kind of a an origin story or where a character came from Mm -hmm. so like this is a really good example of here's here's a little a little taste of the vietnam that fucked this guy up and now we go to the present day and we get this other story preacher did a really good job of it where it's like there's i think three vietnam stories about his dad in the 60 or 75 issue run and they give a lot of really good context and flavor to some of these characters i don't think i could read a 30 issue vietnam story and come out of it feeling like um i had done something that i was glad i had done right it's just so intense and so messed up from start to finish I guess that's what I love about Vietnam stories is that it is a thing that I can't fathom at all because it mm-hmm. is it is such a surreal moment and the the experience was so surreal 
that like, you know, just these shots of them in this particular issue of them sitting there with their guns in a bunker and then the Vietnam jungle beyond them and trying to like, it just does a good job of like reminding me that every moment of every day, everyone there was constantly aware of the fact that they might die at any second. Mm -hmm. And what does that do to your brain? And I just think that like when a story can kind of effectively put you into that insanity uh, yeah. it, it impresses me and it's just like that that whole thing it seems like a pressure cooker that wouldn't ne- will never be able to be replicated and um it was a living hell so i i i liked this book a lot i was sort of not sure how i was feeling at the beginning and i was sort of surprised it it didn't seem like a thing that justin would like overtly love just because it mm-hmm. is like pretty dark especially in the beginning um, um I, yeah i would i would give it I would give it a solid eight. I think it's really good. I, I don't think I've read Alish Cott that I didn't like, but also I haven't read all of the Alish Cott. If you like Vietnam stories, if you like true detective type stories, really good. I'm going to yeah. give it an 8.5, maybe a nine. Like I'm, I'm feeling some, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to go nine. I really liked this. I'm very excited to read more of it. Almost predicated on just like, I think it's a great Vietnam story but I'm interested yeah. to see what's going to happen outside of that as well. Yeah, um, I'll give it an 8.5. And I'm, I'm hoping that the modern day story, because I did like the Vietnam portions a little more, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping the modern day part keeps my attention. Because, yeah, like you said, that the uniqueness of Vietnam. That's why I hope the Punisher, I hope they never updated to have yeah. his origin in Afghanistan or something, because yeah. he needs to be a product of Vietnam. On the topic, <laughs> on that topic of the grit that goes into a Vietnam war. I like, I like what you're doing here. We have to talk about this book that Roman didn't get to read because we don't have copies of it. Django read, then I read Django's copy of it. We only got two of them in. It's from Scout Comics, really small press. It's kind of a speculator book, so it's going up in price. I don't really understand why. It is called Grit, and it is by some creators named Brian Wickman, illustrated by Kevin Castianero, colors Simon Goh, G-O-U-G-H. This is a really interesting book. I just want to talk about it because I, on Tuesday morning, we didn't know much about it. I opened it up and I was like, dang, this is a Django book. And I walked it over to Django and I was like, look at this. And he's like, ooh, I like that. I thought predictable. And I got really excited to read it. So Django read it and said it was very good. Then I took his copy and it is, well, Django, why don't, can you, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a vignette. You know what it reminded me of yeah. was if I were to compare two things, which I hate doing because I, it demands that the people listening know the references I'm making, and they don't. But what I'll compare this to is like Shaolin Cowboy, mm-hmm. Jeff Darrow's very highly detailed sort of, I took too much acid and I'm just going to spend three days at a table drawing. Drawing broken glass and uh, barfing frogs. Whose art is amazing. If you've never seen Jeff Darrow's art, stop what you're doing right now. Google search it. Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Darrow, D-A-R-R-O-W. Amazing. Not a huge body of work. But he does this book called Shaolin Cowboy that are sometimes quiet, like no words at all, and just like this cool monk battling stuff. It's like that mixed with the art and storytelling of Rock Candy Mountain, if anyone mm-hmm. remembers that book. By, yeah, a little, a little bit cartoony. Uh, Kyle Starks. Kyle Starks, yeah. I think was, it was him and somebody else, and I think that he was the main thrust behind it. Those two things, and, and so it was like kind of a cartoony, weird-nosed, devil-on-the-run story, mixed with Hayao Miyazaki's Studio Ghibli stuff, like Princess Mononoke specifically. 
if what I've just described sounds interesting to you, you should pursue Grit by Scout Comics. We're going to try and get some more. Django, can you yeah. tell me what you remember about that? It's it's like I it's, I have the only issue. So that is that is a really good description. It's basically it feels like a dude who is just sort of solving problems for this uh, this person. They they have a problem with trolls, and it is it is it trolls? It is trolls. Yeah. Yeah, they have a problem with trolls, and uh, it turns out that they've got a bigger problem than they thought. And this dude just has page after page after page of awesomely disgusting battle gorgeous and, colors yeah the colors are amazing the monsters are awesome the 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 way that he fights them and the things that he does to beat the bad guys is it's it's just done in a way that i haven't really seen a lot of before um the action is the action could be a total disaster and really hard to read and hard to understand. And the artist did a really good job of making it clear what's going on. And at, I think at the end, it's been a couple of days since I read it, but at the end there, the, there's a hint that the guy that just saved the day by killing this giant beast comes from a, a family that the town doesn't like very much. And they're like, Oh yeah, you don't want to, you don't want anything to do with those guys, those people. And it's just like in the same way that it feels like Shaolin Cowboy, this feels like it could be like a single issue that there will never be anything else from. Mm -hmm. Like if you remember non-player from Image Comics a number of years Mm -hmm. ago that had years between a second issue and then never had anything after that. It, It feels like that, or maybe it'll be a story that we get more of. I really hope we do. Because it's it's gorgeous and it's like a really dark stylized version of Usagi Yojimbo. Yeah, yeah, and the and the violence is just I can't say I can't say enough good things about the violence in this book. Deeply satisfying. If you want the last copy, hit us up. If not, I bet I think it might go into Django's collection. I no, I want to go. I want to go eight point five. I I know like. It might have just been that, like, I had two weeks off. Like, I didn't have time to read a bunch of comics. So I, I read a, a fudge Buddy. load of comics in the last, like, four days. You but I had do. gone so long without them, I, I really was excited. Don't make excuses for liking the comics that you read. I give it a yeah. seven and a half. I thought it was eight, really eight solid. Five. Yeah. Really gorgeous. Hey, Roman, an, an instance yeah. of a thing that I maybe am not 100% on board with. I'm not reading Empire. I am reading... It turns out a fair amount of tie-in books to Empire, which is a weird experience because I don't know what's going on in Empire, but I'm tracing the the ripples outwards of it. Can you just like Empire 2 and 3 have come out on this and we haven't talked about them. Jeff, you're not reading the Marvel crossover event of the summer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, how Um, this book that was supposed to have started in May that is now coming out in late July. Yeah, well, you know, they're plants. They're not very good at the whole invasion timeline. Photosynthesizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I, you're getting enough of the gist from the tie-ins, I think. I mean, the main empire, the main thing, it's just the Avengers are still, now they're trying the second issue, end of the first issue, and all throughout the second issue, they realize, oh, we've been tricked by the Katati. In this issue, number three, Tony Stark is beating himself up him and reader in the lab and he's beating himself up because he's like oh, i can't believe they totally fooled me and you know they wouldn't have fooled you and reed's like well you know i was there they 
kind of fooled me. And Tony's like, no, no, you're just being kind. And then it flashes around the world to the different groups of heroes fighting different groups of Katati. And, so like, okay, well, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me in more broad strokes, what is happening? So the Kotati, the flowery vegetative people from this old 70s, you know, celestial yeah, Marvel like, stories. Yeah, Steve Englehart's run, run on the Avengers in the 70s. Um, and that's like Cree scroll stuff? Yeah, I guess they, yeah, it kind of grew out of the Cree scroll war that happened before then. It's been happening ever since. Um, the Kotati were a race that was also... The Krees and the scrolls were some of them were put on the 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 moon to compete against each other, and the I forget the Katadi were involved in theirs too, and they basically wiped out the Katadi. The Katadi in the competition, the Krees and scrolls were both aggressively trying to beat each other, martially and everything. The Katadi grew a garden on the moon, which became the blue area of the moon where the Watcher lived, and so. I, now I don't even remember, but I think they got major points in the whole evaluation of the competition because they're like, oh, you guys created it rather than destroyed. Right. Um, and now they're pissed off because Mantis and Swordsman's son, who the Avengers had helped before, he was supposed to be the celestial savior. And celestial now, Madonna. Well, that was his mom, Mantis. Oh, okay. Um, I just love the phrase um, "celestial Madonna." It's yeah, so the, the Madonna over has the, the top. Yeah, the Madonna has the savior. Um, he was going to save the universe. Well, it turns out he's been tricking everybody all along. They revealed an issue too. Oh, they're actually an invasion force coming to Earth because they're going to destroy the Earth because that'll get them closer to the sun. So, or something. <laughs> so where I'm at is that the Kotadi, the peaceful good guys, turned mm-hmm. out to be sleeper bad guys and yep. now they're trying to be bad guys to the, the Kree and the scroll yeah and that and, is hulkling is leading that unified force against the kotati yeah because he's a symbol of both of those two, two races unifying because yeah. he's scroll and Kree. and it seems like at this point in the event i'm now seeing a lot of kotati's haughty kotadis invading <laughs> earth and a lot of people fighting them so it sounds like we're at the point where now kotadi are invading earth and plant yeah, fight does that <laughs> i know carol danvers became a accuser you stand yeah. accused yeah she got run on the accuser's hammer so now she's an accuser thumbs up thumbs down what are you liking what are you not liking what is it do you like it <laughs> ah, that, that you, you said liking i was gonna say that's a great plant joke yeah thanks i meant to do it (laughs) kotati call out um (laughs) i you know i like some of the little details of mantis is back you know the celestial savior's mother guardians of the galaxy too yeah former avenger and current guardians of the galaxy i guess remember cosmic madonna um yeah she's back (laughs) you know hulkling does some cool stuff here where he sends his sword to T'Challa on Earth to help him, and it pisses off all of all of the Krees and Scrolls in command because they're just using him as a figurehead, and they don't expect him to actually do anything useful. And then he does. Um, what is it that he does useful? He sends his sword to okay, uh, okay. T'Challa, which he wasn't supposed to do because the Scrolls had some designs on that. Sure, sure, sure. But for the most part, I realized with this issue, it's like, man, I I like the Katadi as they originally created, which was this 
Zen Buddhist like peaceful race. I mean, it was the seventies. So this hippie race that was all mm -hmm. about peace and love and unifying the universe that way. I don't care about them being aggressive, warlike and trying to invade the earth. I'm just like, you know, that's, that part doesn't interest me. I want them to It also seems to like a betrayal of what that character race yeah. stood for within continuity. Like it, it's actually kind of the antithesis of what they did. Yeah, I mean, their whole thing was that they were the peaceful ones that, you know, created the garden. And, and now they're destroying gardens, um, I guess, trying to turn the earth and garden. And at the very end, there's a, there's spoilers, but there's a character that shows up that uh, actually no one would know who it is, but it's Hulkling's grandmother who was posing as someone else. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's interesting. And yeah, because I love these two writers usually, and it's just like, I'm, I'm enjoying a lot of the spin-offs, one-shots, more than I am the main title. I'm reading the main title just obligatorily. Okay, well then what do you give it so that we can get into this dope-ass one-shot? Uh, I'll give Empire number three. I'll give it a six. Nice. I would give Empire Emperor Hulkling number one by Chip Zdarsky. Zerk, jerk. I would give that one probably an eight or an eight and a half it really surprised me and I'm not reading all of them. I'm not reading a lot of the empire stuff, but that one spinoff I thought was really, really well done. So that was a good one. What we've got is a empire savage Avengers number one by Gary Duggan and Greg Smallwood. Django, you might want to take your headphones off because I don't want to spoil this thing. We're I'm going to go get cast. some whiskey. Get some whiskey. Roman, let's fucking get in the dirt. Let's dig up some potatoes, right? Oh, let's yeah. find this thing. Savage Avengers Empire number one. <laughs> this was amazing. It was. Luca Lucha Libre. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> so... So, okay, uh, this is uh, an Empire story in that it is a story about Conan wandering around, being in a city, and a bunch of Kotati show up trying to take over the shit city, and he's like, no, fuck this, this is wrong, and he kills a whole bunch of them. Then Venom shows up, they team up, and they ruin this Kotati ship that was going to take come down somewhere in the south of America, like around Texas or maybe in Mexico oh, or something. They're, they're, yeah, they're in Mexico City. Okay, sweet. Yeah, because the Lucha Libre. Greg Smallwood is an artist I love. They've teamed up with Gary Duggan a number of times, specifically on Savage Avengers. Also did some art in the Jeff Lemire Moon Knight run. Gorgeous, airbrushed-looking art. No one quite colors. Like, no one looks like Greg Smallwood art. I love it. Gary Duggan, I can give or take, but I loved their voice in Savage Avengers. And I guess, Roman, when Conan came to the Marvel Universe, I was like, well, I don't really care. I don't necessarily like... Conan and everyone was really into the Conan stuff and I was trying to think about what I wanted to say about this issue and I just wanted to say like it's so fun and it is so good this Gary Duggan written Savage Avengers series it's so good but I thought like that's not that's not a good enough reason to tell people you know we do a podcast it should be something deeper <laughs> than that so what I'll say is that this whole Savage Avengers run has been kind of a variation on a theme or joke which is conan is now in the marvel universe in modern day and he's sort of a man out of time and out of culture and over and over the most charming parts of this are the kind of like one-liner joke of just like well this guy doesn't get it but he's in it you know like someone shoots a bow and he says a oh, bow a coward's weapon 
time and time again, like, you know, like he beats, he's somebody's dying and he's got to learn how to use a steamroller. He says, before you drift into the great unknown, show me how to work this machine. All of these great moments of just showing the guy who doesn't get it, but believes like he, but he's just like gonna, like the earnest, it's like, you know, I've never been a frat boy or even kind of a frat boy, but there's something charming about some of the good ones, you know, like sometimes they're just simple and they mean well, and they're not going to judge anybody. And that's kind of what Conan is in this. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and those little moments and they're not getting old because he does something original. Like and this one starts off with Conan. He's at a Lucha Libre um, competition in Mexico city. And it's great because he doesn't realize that it's scripted and there's that, that artificial element to it. So he's just in the audience eating a burrito and drinking beer and complaining, going, going, when does the real fighting start? This is not combat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which pisses off the guys in front of him. So he gets in a brawl with them. And it's great. Cause I never would have, it never would have occurred to me going, Oh, Conan at a Lucha Libre match. That, that, that'd be hilarious. Yeah. And I didn't pay attention to the credits when I start before I started reading. So I didn't realize it was Greg Smallwood until I opened it. And what a great Django surprise. pointed it out to me, yeah. I'm going to give this issue a fucking niner, buddies. I, I, oh. The last podcast we had, 186, was like Jeff immediately before absolute bottoming out, just <laughs> burnout. There was a lot of like sixes in there. It uh, Burnout is real, everyone. Take care of yourselves, okay? <laughs> wait, wait, Jeff. Yeah. You don't get to tell them that. You take care of yourself, mister. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> I'll also give it a nine. Definitely a nine. Maybe even a nine and a half. Yeah. It was, it was so much fun. And Conan shows respect for the little people. It's awesome. Django. Jeffo. You are so good. Thank you for refilling your glass, listening to us talk about Savage Avengers. Can I hear a little bit about what you read and some of your stuff before Roman and I go into a little bit of an X corner? Yeah, for sure. I read um, Spider-Man. I read that Texas Blood. Number two, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Um, I really enjoyed the first issue. This is uh, Jacob Phillips is Sean Phillips' son. Sean Phillips, of course, from the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips team that just knocks everything out of the park. This takes a jump and gives us new characters and jumps backwards to before our main sheriff was in the situation uh, that he was in at the end of the first issue. Um, It kind of makes it feel like maybe this series is going to be a series of kind of short vignettes starring the sheriff who I, if I remember right, he dies in the end of the first issue or, or is seriously, seriously injured. Um, And this, this just follows a dude going back to the small town that the sheriff from number one is from uh, to kind of, take care of his brother's affairs and his brother was a bad dude in the town like to the point where when he just goes into the diner to have a cup of coffee and a meal um one of the waitresses essentially kicks him out because his brother was such a dirtbag and and he used to not be a great guy either um it's it's really got sort of shades of no country for old men and criminal and just sort of like that dusty cowboy cop sort of vibe um, I think it's really good. I, I'm curious to see where this series goes, and I think in the long run we're gonna we're gonna put Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips up there with Brew Baker and and Jacob's dad. Uh, it's it's that competent of writing. So I would I would give that one probably an, a seven and a half or an eight. We've got uh, a good like listen. 
when this when everything got rough when the pandemic happened they're shown a light from heaven on one man and that one man was dan brooks and he saved the entire store by building a website and just taking us all into his bosom and saying i will hold you i will keep you safe and the comics place will see another day thank you dan brooks and he has recently said that this is his favorite book coming out. Maybe, what was the quote? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he loved it. Like he it, was, it was like his favorite book of all time or something. Yeah, I, I have so many texts with him since then. I can't look it up. But uh, okay. he, I, I, I've just been bringing him comics that I think he would like. He deserves uh, it. He's saved yeah. the comics place. Absolutely. And, and that and Pulp, which I'll talk about in a minute, he said were amazing. Um, Spider-Man Noir... I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, but number one came out probably in March. I like the art in this one even more than I like the art in the first one. And I thought the art in the first one was amazing. This one has kind of the flavor of Matt Wagner from the, from the Matt Wagner stuff that I really, really liked, which was, I guess, like the, the Batman Grendel crossovers. Do you remember those, Roman, from like the early 2000s? <laughs> I appreciate you targeting sure. that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and some of like his uh, he did a Terminator one shot that was painted and it had a pop up in the middle of the comic, just like really simple head talking heads in the panels and this has the best parts of that plus some some more kinetic action than he usually has. The writing is super kind of like overwrought crime noir writing which is appropriate for the for the you know spider-man noir it's supposed to be sort of a hard 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 boiled private eye sort of story it's a little bit clumsy at times but um this has this has good spider-man action it's got nazis it's got globe trotting it's got like a a female protagonist who is probably going to turn out to be a traitor i would guess but we don't know for sure yet and then it's got like a steampunk appearance of spoiler alert electro at the end mm. and he's just like like the most tesla'd out oh cool electro that's ever been Django just showed us a picture of it through the zoom chat and it does look awesome and i love i mean that's my favorite part of like the ultimate universe or noir stories or whatever is it when you get to see the the real life equivalents for that universe yeah but the art in those books looked amazing when you showed issue number one when you dug that one it, it's yeah. really cool yeah i think i think if you even have a passing interest in noir or just like good good um moody artwork i think this will be right up your alley i also read pulp part of pulp i haven't finished it um it's a hardcover graphic novel put out by ed brubaker and sean phillips the story seems to follow a guy in the i think in the 40s who is writing cowboy stories hmm. and uh it's it's really interesting he's so we're, we're we're getting the cowboy story that he wrote which he intends to be sort of the lead up to his his pulpy protagonists retiring in mexico and having adventures at the end of their lives kind of like um unforgiven uh, where they're they're like pulled back in or or they they have small town squabbles or whatever he would like to to take these pulp characters that are making the publisher a whole bunch of money and and make them old and bring them to the end of their lives and 
the publisher says, no, you got to just keep writing this formulaic trash that you've been doing. And he leaves after getting paid less than he thought he was going to get paid. And the publisher's kind of an asshole. And he's sort of thinking about life. And he tries to stop somebody who's being a jerk to um, an Orthodox Jew in the subway station and ends up getting, he's an old man. He ends up getting in a fist fight with these guys and having a heart attack during the fist fight. And that's, that's where I left off. It's like 10 or 15 pages in. And so far it's just got that Brubaker Phillips sort of bouncing between genres and also merging the genres. And you can, you can just feel the characters really well in this story so far. So Highly, excited highly to finish it. I mean, I'm super excited. To it's finish one of our it. most anticipated books coming out. Like when you get a, a book by those two creators that is like yeah. a standalone thing like that. You know, last time was like, like a standalone thing like that was All My Heroes Are Junkies. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and they've been collecting the criminal stories in little hardcovers that are similar to this. It's, I don't know, man. These guys just have never ever disappointed me and they've done so many different takes on this genre this like this hard-boiled crime genre um it's really cool to see them do sort of a cowboy version mixed with a 1930s or 40s version what do you Um, what do you give all these things buddy well, I got to finish that one before I can really give well, it a score. Right. But I mean, I uh, I, like, so far, it's a nine guys. and a half or a ten. Yeah. Like it's they they just you can just trust them to make something that's really really goddamn good. Um, and I think I gave the other two scores. If I didn't, assume that they're high. Okay. Well, I I've been coaching somebody on something. Just a second. I'll be right back. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate. All the listeners' patience. Are you, you going to do it like we practice? You're going to. You're not going to make fun of the whole thing. You're actually going to do it. Oh, really, what? I really will. I'm oh, gonna do Barry. It. I'm going to do it. Barry. Oh, good. Jeff. Jeff. Let me go. Okay. All right. I want to. You know what you're talking about. I know what I'm. Duh. I know what I'm talking about. Listen, Mighty Bell is here to talk about a book that I read this week named Spaceball by Ethan Young. Roman, did you read Space Bear? <laughs> did I, I read did it? read Space Bear. Oh my God. It was very good. It was very good. I, to be frank, I don't know how to read. But oh. that, it's, not, it's not that bad because Space Bear doesn't have any words. You know that. And it's about, a, it's, oh my God. It's about a bear <laughs> in space. And he has a suit and a space helmet and he lands on a planet. And he has to like find the food and he finds some food, but it's like bad food because he doesn't like it because he's a bear in a suit. And then he has to like meet some aliens and he's getting like really tired. And it is so really, really good. Jeff, did you like it? I I liked it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously on record as liking comics that don't have words in them. And this is like an entirely like silent book yeah but it was like 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 really good if you couldn't read like maybe if you had like a kid or a bear or something right you could look through it and like there's some spooky parts and i know sam read it and she said it was like very scary and i thought not too scary for mighty berry and i and i really i really liked it roman can you tell me about what you thought about it and i'll like do an interview with i'll do like a like a bear interview with you 
Uh, yeah, let's do. A, I'd love to do a bear interview with you. Please, it's bear interview. <laughs> well, this is exciting, MB. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it was yeah it was very exciting because because oh. this, <laughs> this this bear astronaut um, ends up on this crashes on this planet and you don't know you know if he's gonna what he's gonna do how he's gonna survive and there's this weird big kind of cat winged is it a winged cat thing yes meow yeah 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 which is pretty scary it's very um, scary but but he ends up you know not only surviving but causing like a, a healing of a relationship between that cat thing and whatever that other horn thing creature is that he that he meets it reminds me of some days in jeff's house because there's like two really big mean cats and then us <laughs> really good bears and they always ruin our days yeah, but you guys, you guys have those cats outnumbered, though. You know what I really like about this space bear is that he's got really nice bear calves. Have you seen his? Did you see his legs the whole time? You know, Just I. A second. They, hey, they were in suit. Let me show you this. Let me show you this picture of this bear's calves. Look at those calves. He could work for UPS, Barry. That's what I was thinking too. I was thinking, look at that bear's calves. Anyway, I gave it a ten. I think it's the best book that's ever come out ever, and it's good because it's pretty and it's like short and it's wide, kind of like me. And there's no words, which means you can read it with like a little buddy, or you can read it by yourself when you're alone, being mighty bear. And can I see the cover, Barry? Yeah, absolutely. It's by Ethan Young, and it's for his son. Anyway, mighty bear. Oh wait, no, Roman. What did you give it? I want to know before I go to bed. Oh, oh, oh. Jeff makes me go to bed. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give it a nine and a half. Nine and a half. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. There's hey, another, bear. another bear. I'll give it a ten. Oh, that other bear gives it a ten. <laughs> wow. Big bear fans in this house. It's an average of what nine point seven five. Really big scores. If you couldn't decipher it, there was a standalone graphic novel by Ethan Young that came out <laughs> called Space Bear from Kaboom that is an adorable nonverbal story about a, a bear, and I loved it. Roman, anything that Bear didn't say, I blacked out. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was very sweet. It was very, very sweet. I mean, there's it's, it's one of those stories about friendship, friendship and love. Love it. Love it. I need to talk to people about X-Men books. Roman, you read some of these. Django, you probably didn't read any of them because you're, you're a horrible man who I read X-Men, you lava, son of a bitch. Lava waterfalls. <laughs> eight books came out this week. I read them in the order. Sorry, eight, eight books came out over the last two weeks. I read them in the order that the reading list said to read them, which was New Mutants 11. Didn't read it. X-Men oh, Fantastic did... Four, number four. Wolverine, number three. Hellions, read number two. It. Didn't read it. Empire X-Men number one, X-Factor number Didn't one, Cable number two, Didn't and X-Men number Didn't 10 are the books Didn't that I'm listing. Not so that we can address whether Django read them or not, just so that people know, for spoilers sake, what well, I'm about to talk about. I mean, now they also know if I read them. I don't know if I read New Mutants or not. We might have sold out before I got, got there. <laughs> New Mutants and X-Men Fantastic Four number four, I think we can toss out. They're fine. They're my least favorite of the bunch. X-Men yeah. Fantastic Four wrapped up fine. Zdarsky did some cool writing stuff. New Mutants has maintained just a moderately interesting tone since Hickman left the book and the awesome art, uh, Rod Reese, the, like this Sienkiewicz stuff. Th those are both fine. We call I, it Sienkiewiczian. Thank yeah, Sienkiewiczian. I guess what like it, I don't know eight eight books. What I'm more interested in talking about than reading each of these issues is the fact that I read eight X Men books over like a day and a half. 
I'm just like interested in that experience. The Hick, what Hickman did last year with House of X and Powers of Ten was establish this era of X Men all under this umbrella of a type of storytelling. And over the course of two days, I read eight books that all had a very different viewpoint by different writers from this platform of storytelling that was created a year ago that Justin and I were like stupidly into. Roman was really into. Even Django read a lot of it and liked a lot of it. But I, I, you know, what he talked about beforehand was wanting to create a base of storytelling that would inspire years worth of X-Men comics from here on out. And I've never at any point read eight different X-Men series, an issue from each of them in like two days because I'm reading every X-Men book. It is a really cool experience. It's kind of a confusing experience if you're trying to read all of them because all of the writers have a slightly different voice for these characters. Magneto and Charles Xavier specifically are two characters that had just sort of different voices throughout these eight different writers writing these books. You know, that that's kind of a shortcoming, but, and so it's kind of hard. I kept being like, what am I reading? Oh, I'm reading cable number two by Gary Duggan and Phil Noto. Okay. Like hold that in my <laughs> mind, all of that exacerbated by the fact that many of these issues haven't had an issue since before the pandemic. X-Men Fantastic Four, Wolverine, Hellions, X-Factor was a number one, Cable. Like most of these, it's been four months since I've read anything. So I was also kind of confused about those. But I, I really loved Wolverine number three. I loved Hellions number two. And I loved X-Factor number one by my girl, Leah Williams. I have been on the Leah Williams train for so long she is one of my favorite writers i absolutely adore her and this book did nothing but make me absolutely certain that that's how i feel about this writer did it help that she shouted out bellingham washington in there and it took place Our in hometown? Bellingham, washington yeah did the whole thing take place in bellingham uh, i mean krakoa in bellingham oh do we have a krakoan gate in bellingham yeah no there's one in vancouver which is how they end up in in okay. uh, just like players. just like most touring bands on a wednesday or thursday night yeah, exactly. yeah. And at some point they end up out on whidbey island okay it's it's actually kind of a joke i just that on like this tuesday while, while sorting books x factor came out and i was just like i decided as kind of a joking game but also kind of as an experiment in just like our jobs and our lives of reading comics I just decided to pretend that I was approaching X Factor from the standpoint that Leah Williams, the writer, was somebody I loved like Jonathan Hickman or Grant Morrison. And it's in fact somebody that has only written kind of like smaller Marvel books over the last couple of years Some that Gwenpool I haven't read. and stuff. Yeah, tie-ins for events. And David Baldion did the art who did that Domino Hotshot series. It's, it was mm -hmm. gorgeous. But I was really just interested in like, how hard can I work to convince myself that this artist, this writer, I don't really know anything about. How can I, you know, try and train my brain to approach it like I would a Hickman or a Morrison book? Mm -hmm. And I was really <clears throat> interested in that exercise. Just can I do that? Can How I? How did make it my... go? Well, I really liked this book. And okay. <laughs> what, do you think you would have though? I think I maybe would have liked it a little bit less. Um, I think that I think, and I actually think Django, the mechanics of what it is, you might like X Factor, the Peter David run that's really famous is kind of a, a private agent, private detective agency. Mm -hmm. And what this group is, it's Dakin, Wolverine's son, uh, North Star, Polaris, Magneto's daughter, Rachel Summers, I Kid from the Morrison run, 
couple other characters, but it is mostly a detective PI story. If you've ever watched Veronica Mars, it's kind of like that. Okay. But it, it's built around when we learned about the re like the reincarnation mechanism in Krakoa, it was, it said that like the mutant has to be dead. And so it opened up this window of like, well, what if somebody's just missing and we don't know that they're dead? And what this group is, is, is I got so excited in Leah Williams writing throughout this, that she has created a really great working operating system in which like Krakoa is always sending out signals for mutants that are out in the world and backing up their consciousness. But mm -hmm. at some point, if they go missing, if they're missing for a certain point of time, they get flagged as possibly missing. And then that flagged person gets sent to this X factor agency. And then they have all these cases where they're trying to track down the dead bodies of mutants so that they can know that they're dead before reincarnating them to come back to life in Krakoa. So that they don't have duplicates. No, yeah, exactly. So no yeah. duplicates. And, and there's also a lot of just like shady people are killing mutants and stuff. But in this, we get sort of just like a, a really cool one-dimensional mystery, but it does what Hickman did really well in House and Powers and the main X-Men book of combining their powers in really interesting ways. Leah Williams recognizes what these different mutants' powers are, and she combines them in ways where they can be solving mysteries in a really unique mechanical way. So do we know if Hickman chose the team or if Leah Williams cho chose the team? I doubt that Hickman chose the team. Okay. I think that mostly he's just said, here's what we're doing on the main book, come up with other books and then run them by me. And he tries not to reject anything. Here's my toys. So I give X Factor an 8.5. I loved it. But Roman, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It's interesting because when I was reading this, I was wondering if you would like it because... You there's... know I love Leah Williams. Yeah, but I thought that was a joke. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an experiment. No, no, no I, th I thought... I thought you wouldn't like it because there's so many panels that are mostly taken up with massive word balloons of, of you just got to trust Leah lot, lots of text. It's just the whole issue is just this massive info dump, which I think sh I feel like a lot of it should have spread over the next three issues. Yeah, that is valid. <laughs> I also was intimidated by the number of words based on how historically I've talked about those things. I tried to approach those text balloons specifically as if they were Brian Bendis, who I know you don't necessarily love his text balloons, but I do like his text balloons. So when I see his text, I kind of, I'm not necessarily excited, but I think that I'm going to like them by the time I've gotten through them. Yeah. And me kind of, you know, like working. Oh yeah, there's so many, there's so many. But I, it, was, it was kind of an experiment of just like my own prejudice, you know? Like, yeah. mm -hmm. why do I not question some giant text pages? And why do I question some? And it's when the writer is someone I trust. And, you know, what is that trust, trust built on? And can I, can I experiment with that, yeah. you know? It, it is inter interesting, too, because for me, I actually had a hard time finishing this issue because I reached a point where I was just like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, Plus, I'm also not a fan of this kind of art style. It I mean, is I don't... almost Ramos-esque, but not. Yeah, I'd say it's... Ramosian. It's yeah, almost I'd, Ramosian. I'd, yeah, I'd say it's better than Ramos. Yeah, it still kind of bothered me. I, none, of, none of them look like the way I expect these characters to look. Yeah, you're right. Like Polaris, first time we see her, I was, and for the next few pages, is like, that's supposed to be Polaris? She looks like she's like 19. 
And this is a character that Neil Adams was drawing in 1968. Right. Yeah, I do love that the small dinosaur is called what? What is the name? Oh, it's a war beast? War? No, it's got an adorable name, like Amazing Genius or something. Oh, Amazing Baby. Amazing Baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was I really cute. That. And I love the fact that those are left over from some Excalibur comic or something in the 80s. It's, it, it reminded me of like Degrassi meets Hickman. That is a, that's a mouthful. It's, but I have, you know, four box set seasons of Degrassi, the next generation on my DVD shelf. So like, and, and 15 Hickman omnibuses. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's not for everybody. Admittedly, I do think everyone should sort of challenge themselves with trying to just pretend like, do I love this person as a writer or not? Uh, I, I really liked X Factor number one. I'd give it an eight. I think that's a really interesting experiment that you did because I think that you and Justin give a couple of creators a lot more leeway in their storytelling than I do mm -hmm. because you like you you just really earnestly like them and you'll trust them and I I will work really hard to like whatever garbage Tom Waits decides to put out next like he could he could put out just the sound of him mowing his lawn and I would probably be a fan and I I like that you guys are able to do that for Hickman and Morrison and, and just you doing that experiment to see if you can give that same benefit to a creator who you didn't know before you picked up that comic, I think is, it, it, it's a really interesting idea. I'll give, I'll give it a six. He's I, not, does, he's not the Leo Williams fan that you are. No, yeah, I'm a huge yeah. I almost went five and five and a half, but I really like the thing with Polaris and, and Krakoa and I really like, the blob is running, having a big bushy handlebar mustache, and he runs the bar. On is Krakoa. anyone reading Wolverine? <laughs> nope. I read that issue. You're at three. Yeah, I love this book. I thought it was pretty good. I I love the writing. I love the art, and it's 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 you know I've never read a monthly Wolverine series that was good because I wasn't mm -hmm. alive when like the one that you love was coming out. For, for about 15 or 20 issues and then yeah. kind of shit the bed. But I've, I've definitely read, I mean, actually Jason Aaron wrote some good stuff, but I think the art by Adam Kubert in this is phenomenal. I love it. And I really like this story of just sort of this weird relationship that Wolverine has built with this DEA agent, this like CIA mm -hmm. cop type person who's kind of like a stonery single dad whose daughter was sick and Wolverine, looks like the dude. Yeah, he looks like the dude and he talks like the dude. And this just did the right balancing act of doing its totally own thing while also answering a lot of questions about the Krakoan culture and Wolverine. I really liked it. I just think it's gorgeous. This Benjamin Percy, he wrote that year zero by AWA studios that mm -hmm. I also like. He's just like my sleeper Tom Taylor of Django. Oh man. That, does that mean that we have to go back and read DC's Green Lantern or Green Arrow that, that Ben Percy wrote? I did read a fair amount of that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I liked a couple of the, the one-shot issues that I read of it. What did you re think about that Wolverine issue? I thought it was pretty good. I don't remember it super well. I remember being a little bit confused because I think that I missed number two in the yeah. pandemic call of blue, if you final, will. final week of comics, that book. Yeah, yeah. If, if I didn't miss it, I just put it in my brain and immediately dropped it out because I had other stuff going in there. But um i think it was good I, I like the art a lot i like the art on it a lot more than i like the art in x-men number 10 yeah um did I you read that one i didn't love x-men number 10 i actually 
I think it's maybe my least favorite issue of the whole main run. And I preferred Empire X-Men number one to X-Men number 10. The the thing about the X-Men number 10 that kind of distracted me was that it seems like when you're in the Summer's house, you're just always angling for a threesome. Yeah. I didn't know those characters, like Vulcan and the two women the whole time, and they were all just drinking, and I don't know. Yeah, it just felt... They were clearly trying to fuck him, though, right? Maybe. I didn't get that, but I would believe you. I'm not no, aware of know. pretense like that. There was, I've there never was... fucked Django. Um, <laughs> I'm a 30 year old virgin. They're about to make a movie about me in 10 years. Those, those, the, the two girls just seemed like they were really, really. Aren't they all related? They're all hanging out in the Summers house. They're probably all Summers. They're, they're not. They're not related. Vulcan is the, the long lost, Summers brother that, Brubaker revealed on his run, in okay. Deadly in Deadly Genesis, and the other two. Vulcan and these two women and the character Darwin, they're the Professor X's first team of X-Men he sent to, to Krakoa um, and Krakoa killed them all. And then he sent his next team, which was Cyclops and Wolverine and Colossus, all them. Cyclops was the only one that knew about the previous ones, but he didn't know that Vulcan was his brother. Interesting. And they were all killed by Krakoa, but now Krakoa's brought them, they've brought them all back. There's just there's there's a panel right before he goes for a walk, and they are. It, it seemed really clear to me that they were trying to both sleep with him. Well, we've also established that on Krakoa they're all just fucking all the time. Like they're trying to. Yeah. That's it's just a crazy orgy planet. It, I don't know. It just, it just set a weird tone, and I'm then they they were so casual when they saw the explosion in the distance. Like, oh no, let's finish these margaritas before we go investigate what's going on with this guy. That um, issue to me felt more like, I mean, I think we had an Empire X-Men number one, which is an Empire tie-in. And then we had X-Men number 10, which was an X-Men tie-in. It seems like just get rid of one of those and yeah. have one and let the other just be the story. But and the when final page show... of that was Rachel Summers' giant 90s X-Men thighs, like just like irrational body proportions. But then Jeannie in a bikini and Scott in his Speedo. I love that. And I'm pretty sure that these costumes that they're wearing are the same costumes that they're wearing in the swimsuit issue. X-Men swimsuit issue. Wolverine for sure is wearing that same shorts. hat and the shorts and the He doesn't have issue. hot dogs on his claws like the card showed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that that took me right out of it. That, yeah, I don't I, know. It I think that whole issue was was a not impressive weird. feat. Yeah. I, I yeah. liked Empire X-Men more than that, but all Oh see that I kinda liked this one. Just because I like the character of Vulcan, um, I, I don't like, like him. And like the, I just don't the, care about him. Actually, I'm sorry. And like the two women, they hang back because Vulcan is supposed to be like one of the most powerful mutants of all. So that's why they hung back when they saw the explosion because they know he he doesn't need their help. Um, well, and they had margaritas to finish. Yeah, well, yeah, and I understood that. Of course, you finish your margarita. I thought it was cool that they tied in the Kotati in a sensible way. That it's because of the blue area on the moon, and that's where the Summers House is located, right by there. And so that was the tie-in. Um, it seemed like the it didn't Co seem forced. It seemed, yeah, I agree with that. It seemed like the Kotati. It seems like the X Men number ten should have been the Empire tie-in to me, and the Empire tie-in, like Empire X Men number one, almost was like a different thing because it was like you know um, horticulture showed up, which has been an X Men group, and it's yeah. on the moon, and like the Kotati are fighting with these Marvel zombie equivalents because you know Scarlet Witch tried to revive all of the people from Genosha. 
Mm. And that that all seemed more rooted in X-Men stuff than the X-Men stuff that was, I don't know. Like, Yeah, I, the, I, I agree. That, they that they, is confusing. Yeah, they should have switched those two issues because, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Hey, but what I'm really excited to do is, is talk about you, talk about Hellions number two with you. Let's talk and about Hellions. Well, what, what do we give this? I gave it a score. Did oh, you? Well, um, <laughs> sorry, Wolverine number two, three, I gave a score. We didn't, we actually oh. just sort of tangentially, tangentially started talking about X-Men. I would give oh. X-Men number 10, like, like a seven. Yeah, I'd give it a 7.5. That sounds good. Hellions number two, the opening quote on the opening pages by a nightcrawler says, those whose violence you do not understand have often seen horrors you cannot imagine. And right off the bat, that brought me back to Hellions number one, which to me is a really progressive take on mental health in a culture and how a culture deals with mental health. The first issue was dealing with, these are a bunch of mutants who have powers that are damaging to the people around them. They're not pro-social. They might tear themselves down to people around them down, but also that's who they are. And we need to find a, a purpose and a cause for them because a culture, you know, that throws people away from being different isn't worth anything. That seems to be the thrust that Zeb Wells is bringing to Hellions. And I really appreciate that look on things. And I, I really liked this book probably topped i would say x i would say yeah the top three are x factor wolverine number three and hellions number two uh roman my love for it was sort of that mental health perspective and the characters and how bizarre it has almost that savage avengers feel like i don't know this nanny character but i just found myself enjoying reading random like i, I smiled through a lot of this book what did you like about it i did too i i don't it was a couple weeks ago i read it but i think yeah, that, I didn't put it in those terms, but the mental health aspect, because, yeah, like, you know, Nanny and whatever that robot is or whatever she hangs out with, the guy with the antenna. Right. I mean, they have some orphan kind of, maker. yeah, orphan maker, and there's some kind of weird parental nurturing dysfunctionality there. And uh, the guy from used to be in Gamma Flight, I think, Wild Child. Is that the? Yeah, I was thinking like Age of Apocalypse. It looks like one of those but maybe gamma yeah yeah but I, I think originally he's he's nice. from gamma flight like a third rate wolverine for the first time ever in like i don't know 30 years he's interesting because he's got this they start kind of exploring around the edges of his his anger and violence problems relating to trauma i think relating to isolation or something when he was young but i loved the shot at the end when psylocke so there was a thing that led into it where like a dog was around them and the and wild child was like i'm gonna fuck up that dog and then a human was like stop it to the dog and the dog stopped and wild child was like you're the alpha here yeah. and i loved that then at the end of this issue the cliffhanger is like a bunch of people have gotten kind of wrecked on this x this x crew um and these the hellions crew and psylocke is alive still and everyone's getting taken away and Wild Child turns on Psylocke. She says, I smell your blood injured, too weak to lead. And it is that very like cat-dog dynamic of like they they can't help it. They establish an alpha. And if that alpha drops below the expectations of the, the crew, they're gonna they're gonna come for it. Yeah, yeah. And I like that exploration of you know a human being that's been raised fairly, right? Never been socialized as a human being. And that quote in the beginning. That was a great because it also made me think of Magneto and and yeah. um, I, I want to kind of tie that. Polar Polaris isn't on this team, right? No, that's X Factor. No, she's, but okay. It's easy to get it all confused because, like I was saying, I read all eight of these yeah. and they're all so similar <laughs> that it's real confusing. I give Hellions 
an 8.5. Me too. I was trying to think of some kind of numeric joke to tie in the Hellions, and I couldn't do it. Well, H is the eighth letter. Ah, there we go. We're on to something. Jango's on to something. Okay, all right. Jango's always on to something. Listen, guys, can I <laughs> yeah. can I make a suggestion to Marvel Comics? Yeah. But that brings us to the end of the books. Thanks, everyone, for listening to that big Jeff section of X books. All right, we'll see you all next week. I'm Jango. No, I'm Roman. Thanks, folks. email to get to. Oh, Andrew Roman. Carlson, Roman, we can't jump the gun like that. It's The two it's of you just got shamed. I'm slapping both of your wrists when I see you in person next time. Ow. Andrew Ooh. Carlson. Hey oh, guys, friend of the show. Fox. Since the weather has been so hot lately, <laughs> holy shit, my house is 84 degrees right now at 11 o'clock at night. I figured I'd ask a couple of questions related to that fiery ball of death and your relationship with it. Which do you like better, shaved ice, slushies, or ice cream? Go to hell. Shaved ice is my favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> On Saturdays, when the store used to function like it used to function. Rome, Justin would hold the store together long enough for me to run over to the farmer's market, which is the only place you can get shaved ice in town reliably. And I would get a shaved ice and bring it back to the shop. So Jeff shaved ice. If I'm trying to beat the sun, shaved ice, hundred percent. If I also need some protein, it's gotta be ice cream. I don't care that much about whatever the middle thing was. Man, if you're, you and I are the same people who are like desperately at times like I need protein because we just don't yeah. do it. If ice cream is the best source of protein that you have, you're fucking up. And that's coming from a guy who cannot care from himself. Roman, what was what was the middle one? Slushies. So like an icy, your oh, your, your cool dog with a sl- icy, Jesus. icy. I, mean, I didn't have one of those since I was a kid. They're great also. Um, I'd take both of those over ice cream. God, you know, I think I think I'd go to ice cream actually. Yeah, you We've been delivering to Mallard every every week, a couple times a week to bring really? comics to Neil. And <laughs> I try to arrange it so that that's my last stop so that I can drop it off, get an ice cream, and then go back to the shop and eat Does an ice cream. Does he give you an ice cream? No, I buy an ice cream. Like you I'm, buy a pint or a cone? I just buy a, a cone. I buy an indecision scoop, half scoop of What's two that? different kinds. Oh. And uh, just... I didn't even know, you know that was a thing. Partly I want to support them because I think what they're doing is really cool. Just the way that they're, they're serving their ice cream and getting it to people. And are they uh, already in there? Also, I, I like ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. When I left the shop yesterday, I went to Mallard's, talked to Neil, got some ice cream, went home, ate my ice cream. It was great. Mm-hmm. Nice. Do you enjoy the slurry of goodness at the bottom of such streets, such treats or no? The slurry at the bottom. Someone's been listening to blood slurry. Mm. I like, I think shaved ice and slushies, shaved ice, the slurry at the bottom is perfect because it's mostly liquid. Slushies, because you're using a straw, you suck the liquid out. So you get a bunch of dry ice at the bottom. I don't like that. Ice cream most often results in a mess for me at the end. So I'm not as into that. I I agree with you on the first two and I eat my ice cream too quickly to have any slurry left. I eat my ice cream like a mint patty. Yeah, it takes you like R.I.P. seven R.I.P. hours. Yeah. yeah, it's been too long since I've had either of the first two to know. But I don't like slurry, so I actually make it a point to eat my ice cream fast enough so there's no melt at the bottom. If neither of these sound good, what do you drink and or eat to cool down on hot summer days? What I did before this show to get me fucking randy for it, to get me fucking ready for this show, boiled some hot water, got a mug. Put some fucking honey in it. 
poured that boiling hot water in it, stirred it up, put a tea bag in it, let it steep and get too strong, took a glass, stuffed it as full of ice as it could possibly be, and then poured that concentrated tea mixture over the ice and made myself a real nice cold glass of iced tea. Did you, are those instructions from bots? Buddy of the show, buddy of the show, Ryan Russell. Ryan Russell. Yeah. Roman, how are you keeping cool? You know, it's super boring, but my favorite way to cool down drink is just ice water. Oh, nice. You're right. But I sure would like a mint julep or a a mojito. It's been years since I had a mint julep. We need to apologize to Ryan Russell since you mentioned him. He asked us to read DC's Cybernetic Summer 80 page giant. I think when we got that text, I told you to tell Ryan to fuck right off because I didn't want to read that. <laughs> and I, I like Ryan. I like Ryan a, a lot. lot. He's one of my favorite, frankly, one of my favorite people that I interact with on a regular basis at this point in my life. And I would But there are lines. There are lines. <laughs> and DC's Cybernetic Summer is a line that I decided to draw. We did not have enough copies for all of us to read it. Oh, yeah, that too. And that is because also those 80-page giants, which DC is cranking the shit out right now. Actually, no, that was an 80-page giant. They've been cranking the shit out of 100-page giants right now. (laughs) They've been doing it two to three times a month. And as a person ordering comics now, I've just decided that like we're only only ordering one or two above sub count on those Mm -hmm. because they're really expensive. They hang on the shelf. People don't order them. I do really like them because they seem like the best way to get new writers and artists into like published material. But that one, we just didn't have enough to order and have all of us read. And also I looked through all of the creative teams and it wasn't people I was particularly interested in, which probably factored into the order. So Ryan, I let you down, bud, but I just like you, and I just want to sit on a couch and read comics with you close to one another, which yeah, we can't yeah. do. Yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Ryan, but yeah, I did the same thing. I, I looked at the contents page in the back with all the creators, and I was just like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> if DC so, was not releasing 80 to 100-page issues two to three times a month, I would do it for sure, but like, Oh my God! Green Lantern, Catwoman, Robin, Batman—all of these hundred-page giants. Like, yeah. The thing that uh, the thing I keep hearing—I I haven't heard a ton about that comic, but every time I hear something about it, it's kind of positive. So it's got me curious. I don't know if it's curious enough to to plow through eighty pages of uh, Cyborg. Is it all? Is it about Cyborg? No, no, no. no it's just Cyborg cybernetics and whatever theme they can fit that into a story that's yeah. just cyborg there could be a side dog or a side oh, we need a better <laughs> note to go out on than this can someone say something good can we have a good conversation um, to leave on Ca- Cap- captain america empire was really good <laughs> you want to whistle about that <laughs> whistle about that for a little bit i don't i don't know how to whistle but yeah i can i can <laughs> You, you know, would be it was... surprising anybody by saying you don't know how to whistle by it. We are going to have Roman a new <laughs> mic by the next time we record a podcast. It's going to be fucking awesome. Thank you, Ron Warner. Yes, thank you, Ron. Very uh, Roman, I actually brought home the Captain America Empire special because you have talked it up, I think, every time I've seen you since it came out. Woo-hoo. So I'm excited to read that and the Empire Savage Avengers, which I took my headphones <sighs> on so that you guys wouldn't so spoil good. it. So good. That great I... small art looks awesome. 
he's yeah. amazing. My favorite really thing at this point, checking in with Roman has just been like, you do a different thing than me, which is that you, your weekly comic books, your favorite book is the 10 of the week. And then everything else goes down from there. Oh, bell yeah. curve Statler. What was your 10? <laughs> bell hooks. Um, what was my 10? Because you, oh you, didn't, you didn't whip a fucking gooey duck on the fucking table ready to slice oh, that didn't. shit up and put it in an oyster shell. Oh, we don't slice down. gooey ducks. That's true. We hunt them, though. Man, I used to love hunting gooey ducks as a kid. You, you step on the little thing, it shoots up water, and it scurries through the sand. You ever hunted gooey ducks, Django? No. Yes. No. Roman, you have? My dad and I used to go out. Django, you would fucking clamming on, on the beach. It's yeah, amazing. on the beaches in Indianola and Kingston. They leave this weird little like pustule looking thing in the sand, which is where mm-hmm. they're breathing. And if you step on it, it squirts out the water and it scurries through the sand away. And you have to like chase it. Away. You have to chase them to find. It's fucking insane. Can you imagine being a the creature that swims through sand? The creeper. Roman, the what's creeper. your ten? You know, I think. Are you gonna change I was, your I was actually. Around? I was actually saving it for um, Pulp, but I haven't read that yet. So I'll give it to that Texas Blood. Really? Number two? That, that Texas, Texas Blood? Blood number two got your 10? Yeah. That's a great series. Yeah. J- yeah. I mean, Django's Fucking right. Disappointed. Django's right. It's going to be the next, uh, you know, criminal level series. Mm-hmm. Disappointed. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm not. I'll, you, I'll, if you I'll read be, it, you, read you would it. agree. I bet you're right. You guys are never wrong. Jeff, how is that podcast that you're doing about uh, Grant Morrison's Batman going? I love it. Um, yeah. It's a lot of fun. You want to be on it soon? Yeah. What What issue do you want me to be on? You want to be on Batman and Robin number four? Yeah. I think I read one and maybe two, so I'll, I'll catch up. Cool. When is that? Um, uh, we, they, they don't need to hear this. Yeah, we'll get that. Batman and Robin number four is going to have Django on it, so look for that. It's usually about a week behind our normal podcast here. It's a lot of fun. Batman in Quarantine has been mostly Justin and Roman and I, although this last uh, week we got some great guests, Ryan Russell and Will Elmer, who are uh, fans of the show, fans of the store, fans of Batman. Loved talking to them and getting a, an outside perspective on that run. It's been a ton of fun. Again, I'm really grateful that everyone was super cool about us missing a week on this podcast. It was a thing that caused me a lot of stress, but we just really couldn't get it done that week. And if you ever are feeling like you're not getting enough of the Perfectly Acceptable podcast, you should check out Batman in Quarantine because it is the other thing that we're doing. It will be awesome when it's over. Um, but until <laughs> then, it is a lot of fun and it is it is nice to have a, a very hard thing. But we're reading all of Grant... Grant... But we're Grant... Grant... But we're reading all of Grant Morrison's Batman run. And (laughs) I'm amazed that we're a third of the way through it. And I do think that when we're done with this, it's going to be one of the most rewarding things we've ever done. It, it, you you can really feel you guys are having a good time doing it. Dude, we have gotten like emails from strangers. We have a stranger Mm -hmm. who's written us three emails, which has never happened. And is that's wild. Wild. And I just, it blows my fucking mind that anyone is listening to it. So uh, thank you. That's a good segue. If you're listening to this podcast and you have never scrolled to the bottom of your podcast feed and written a review, you should. Yep. This this podcast is even more work than Batman in Quarantine, if you can believe it. You're and, welcome, Jeffrey. And it's a lot of fun to do. But if you were to leave a review or tell somebody about it or post on Reddit that you like this podcast or on Facebook or something, it would it would mean more to us than you know, because we've been doing it for like four years and 
it i get that it's also scary to do that kind of stuff but if you're into it you should because it means a lot to us and do that same thing with any podcast or business that you like like it's true if if you don't like us enough to give us a five-star review go to your favorite podcast and give them a five-star review because it really is uh, like it's it's hugely important and it's something that i think is easy to kind of take casually if you don't if you're not involved in this in this sort of like social media conglomerate garbage town that we have to play with i entered a contest on a podcast i love to win something where i had to write a review and then email them a a snapshot of it Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe we should do something like that if you write a review and send us a snapshot to info at the comics place with the subject line papcast we'll buy you a pizza We'll buy you, you a win. pizza or we'll buy you a graphic novel. <laughs> we'll send you a graphic oh, novel. Um, we'll synergy. A, if, you, if you write a review uh, and send us a snapshot of that review at info at the with the subject line papcast, we'll enter whoever does that. It might only be one or two people. Into a hat, we'll draw a name. We'll send you a graphic novel that we're really excited about and we're probably going to be doing on the book club or something. Yeah. Um, get some yeah. free comics, write a review. But I did that uh, because it really does help podcasts and, and we really love that. Roman, can you can you take us out of here? I'm not even going to step on your toes. You're entirely in charge from here on out. I'm entirely in charge. Whistle, um, whistle, whistle, whistle. <laughs> <laughs> whistle, whistle while you podcast. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, what's left to say? I don't know. I'm excited to hear what well, you think. Well, we, did you already give the, uh, the our email address? I don't know. What have you been doing? <laughs> I, 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 I was thinking about mint juleps. <laughs> Still? I'm going to find you a mint julep recipe. You I really want a us, mint julep. You can send us an email at info at thecomicsplace.com. We would love to do that. Just papcast question, whatever you want. We'll find it. If you want a more direct route to me because you're worried that info at thecomicsplace.com might not make it happen, Jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Write that email. That'll definitely go to me. Uh, that's a great way to get a hold of us. And we really do love the questions. Thank you, Thoughts, Andrew, friend of the show, for doing uh, today's questions. Emails, thanks for everyone placing orders. I don't know. It's time to get out of here. Thanks for letting this one be a little bit long because we didn't do one last week. I'm not going to love it or leave this it. One. Love it or leave it. Wait, 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 wait. I just got to get in here one oh. more time. Bear life. Wait, wait. Love it. Learn it, love it, bear life. I say that all the time. I say, I say, learn it, live it, love it, bear life. And on that note, bear, this was Papcast 187. Thanks all for listening. I am Jeff. I am Django. I'm Roman. And I'm Bear, Mighty Bear.